This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Adam Sandow, the founder of Sandow Publishing and the founder and CEO of Material Bank. Launched in 2018, Material Bank offered designers a unique promise order samples from an online platform, and then show up at your desk the next morning, all for free. In four short years, Adam has rapidly grown the company to feature 500 brands, serving nearly 100,000 users, and in the process, has raised more than $325 million. I spoke with Adam about moving into the residential side of the industry, challenge of making the platform affordable to smaller makers, and why he thinks design brands need to make themselves easier to work with if they're going to survive. This podcast is sponsored by Vaughn. Since 1983, interior designers around the world have looked to Vaughn for the finest decorative lighting, furniture, and accessories. Founders Lucy and Michael Vaughan, located in Hampshire, England, bring their artistic eye, discerning sense of style, and meticulous attention to detail to their in-house design studio, the heart of the company, where every product is designed. Renowned for their craftsmanship, quality, and for using the very finest materials, their UK factory employs an outstanding team of designers, engineers, and skilled workers, to ensure the highest standards of production. All Vaughn lighting is UL listed and EMC tested to ensure that quality from the inside out. Represented in showrooms across the country, you can also explore the world of Vaughn on Instagram at Vaughn Designs. That's V-A-U-G-H-A-N Designs. Or online at VaughnDesigns.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Serena and Lily. With a dedicated trade team and design shops from coast to coast, Serena and Lily's exclusive trade program has the personalized service, products, and custom details you need to execute your vision seamlessly. From trade-only discounts to complimentary swatches, COM to custom by the inch, being a Serena and Lily trade member offers endless inspiration giving you and your clients the unique look you deserve. Join their trade program by visiting serenaandlily.com slash trade. And now, on with the show. I want to give listeners up top who might not be familiar with Material Bank, I want to just briefly explain what Material Bank is and all that you've built and for a long time now we've talked about the, the promise of hundreds of brands being available to designers, order samples by midnight, have them on your desk by 10.30 the next morning, one yeah. box, all of your samples, and, and all for, for free, right? That's, that was the promise to, to designers. Well, you know, it was almost easy to say to designers, what if we could build a website that had all the product data of all the top manufacturers that you look for, and then build an ability to allow you to order anything you want. To do that was really complicated. But by putting everything into one building, 
it allows us to be able to pull any combination of materials from anybody and put it in one box. So when you think of Amazon, we've all seen the videos and there's robots running around. But the easy part of what Amazon does is they take very well-produced exterior packaging and they put these finished boxes into other boxes. So the challenge that, that we've solved is a designer that wants a three-foot piece of carpet, two bricks, three <laughs> pieces of glass, some hand-painted wallpaper, and five paint samples. Now put that in one box <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning to a glass company. Sure, it's easy. We bubble wrap it, we throw it in the, in the box. But when you've got to put a brick with the glass and a giant weird shaped plank of carpet, that is where I think we've gotten really, really good at these very complex packages. You know, it was funny when we started, textiles was our first big category. And a lot of the textile manufacturers were convinced someone's looking for blue velvet. They're going to get one piece of blue velvet from every textile company and then compare them. They, they worried like with these boxes of, of blue velvets going out from every manufacturer. And it's, it's never been how our platform works. The key to Material Bank for designers is the diversity of products. So the benefit of this is ease, right? The best businesses to me make it easy for the user. But behind the scenes, this is a very complex logistics business that we've had to build. We had to learn, but that learning has allowed us to today build something very special and very proprietary because our volumes are just massive. You, you can't imagine the number of materials handled through the platform in those facilities on a nightly basis. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's staggering. Well, so give us give us a sense of that. Give us a sense of the of the volume. How many how many brands do you have on the platform now, roughly? We have close to five hundred brands. Okay, two hundred categories. We have today over a hundred thousand registered users. Now you have to understand, a registered user is someone that is vetted. We we still reject about twenty five percent of registrants because they're not in the trades. You know, we have a tremendous amount of corporate users. But we are very careful who gets access. This is not for consumers. This is not for people outside of our industry. This is not for very small uh, residential firms. This is for mostly big commercial firms um, and medium-sized commercial firms and even small doing lots of, of, of different work. And there are some residential, but, but it is heavily uh, hospitality, office uh, education, healthcare. So I want to talk about residential, but first I want to talk about money. So people, whatever your name comes up, everybody says, oh my God, can't believe he's raised so much money. How does he do it? What does he, what does he say to these investors? What's the, what's the compelling story that he spins about, about the industry? How does he, how does he lure, what have you raised? $325 million, I think so yeah, far. Are you a bit, right? A bit, a bit right? over 325, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, most recent round, $175 million. Yep. Everybody wrote about, oh, he's, he's, he's worth over a billion dollars now. This is a, this is a unicorn. They love, to, they love to talk about unicorns, right? So what do investors find so compelling about the story that you tell about Material Bank? Why do they want to come on board? Why do they give you this kind of, kind of money to build this out? I think what they've all seen is the performance of the business in the way that our users consistently and continually use the platform. In other words, it's very sticky. The unit economics of our business are good. Our business model is good, meaning that we are able to 
generate the right gross margins to build a sustainable business. Because too many times companies can grow top line and hemorrhage cash. And even months ago, you could kind of do that. Today, that world is absolutely shut, gone, and dead for probably five years, where you have to have the fundamentals of a a terrific business with really good business economics, good unit economics. So I think we were fortunate in the original thesis that we had has really worked well because the brands just adopt and continue to grow with us and our users continue to grow. We've been able to add more and more and more users every month from the early beta tests of 2018 to yesterday. So we've had extraordinary continued steady, stable growth with very good unit economics and the manufacturers, though it's a big part of their budget today, and we recognize that, we're driving the majority of the leads for their sales teams. Every morning, their sales teams wake up and go to the dashboards and go, okay, who do I follow up with today? Investors see that and they dig in and they look at that and they look at those things. But I think they also are looking at our overall vision. You know, today we are by far the largest marketplace where designers are looking for products. We're fortunate in that while we've raised a lot of money, we still have 70% of that capital on our balance sheet. As you know, Dennis, my background is an entrepreneur. I built every company that I own from scratch. Um, we, were, we acquired businesses as we got bigger, but I never raised capital for anything. I own the businesses that I own and I'm careful. So we brought a lot of that conservative entrepreneurship to this business. So we're very careful capital allocators. Um, and while we've spent a lot, the vast majority of every dollar we've raised is sitting on the balance sheet. Um, and we really have a vision for the future. And that vision includes getting very serious about residential. We are working on, I think, even more groundbreaking new platforms for residential. And I think that's what the investors see as, wow, this is a much bigger vision than Material Bank, though Material Bank is the engine today that has driven a lot of our success and our growth, but it's just a foundational piece. Of course, and and that's what we're all assuming. We're all assuming there's a much bigger story, and I, I'm assuming that in order to get all of these big investors to sign on to giving you even, even more money when, as you just said, you, you haven't even spent 70% of what you've already raised, and you used the word marketplace earlier. And everybody assumes that in in that word marketplace is the ability to actually transact on the platform. And and many people are are wondering, is that part of what you're building out and and one day just going to be able to flip that switch? And not only can you order all these samples, but then you you get them 1030 the next morning and then you just hop right back on the site and and place that order and have that have that executed. Our first and foremost mission in this business has always been and will always be to support our brands. My sole goal with this business is to make sure that material bank brands take market share and they grow and they win. And the capital we've raised is going to build the next generation of digital tools that I think people are going to be astounded by. That's to support our brands because our brands that are on our platform will have those benefits. Um, The inspiration engine that we're going to unveil late this year 
I fundamentally believe will change the way designers start design projects, the way they think about approaching design projects. So our goal is never to disrupt. Our goal is, is never to, you know, one of the rumors we, we kept hearing a few months ago was that Sandow's bought a mill. He's buying a textile mill. That's it. Yes. He's going yes. to he's he's Amazon basics the industry. They are convinced of that, Adam. Yeah, they are convinced. They are convinced. <laughs> and I say, guys, I'm, I'm flattered that you think that uh, you make the reference to Amazon and, 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 and me. <laughs> but just think about it for one second. We have 200 categories of material. We have deep relationships with Benjamin Moore and Sherwin-Williams and Mohawk. And every, we have such across every category. What happens when the people at these massive carpet companies go, wait, Sandow's bought a mill. He's going to do it to us. Everyone leaves. The business is finished. My credibility shot. I said, I don't know anything about a mill. That's not what we do. So what we say to our brands is our goal is that we accelerate your business. And that's how we make money. We've, we've been able to raise capital at extraordinary valuations because of our vision. And our vision is absolutely unequivocally not to get into the material manufacturing business. I don't think I could raise capital. I think that the investors would think I've lost my mind. That's, um, that's a terrible think, business. Don't get into I, that I, business. I, well, it's not, it's not a terrible business. I don't think, I don't think Amazon, with all yeah. the brilliance of money they have, could get into 200 categories of material yeah. manufacturing. And here's the other thing that, that, that I learned early on. The designers love the reps. They love the brands. They love the handholding. They love the help. So our goals are to enable those relationships. Our goals are to help the brands. So for example, we bought a company called Amber Engine and people said, well, I don't understand. You're a, you're a place to get samples. Why are you buying a technology company that manages product information? I said, well, one thing we know about our industry, it has the worst product information in almost <laughs> any industry. And none of our, 99% of the manufacturers have horrible ways to manage product information, yet they have massive SKU counts. So we have become, over the last three years, unbelievable product data experts. You know, we onboard a manufacturer with 12,000 SKUs. We take their data, we normalize it, we put it into the software, we manage their data. Well, we said, why can't we buy a software platform that will help our brands manage their product data in a better way so they could pipe their product data to 10 other places? and make it easier. So we're investing in those kinds of services and platforms. Well, and, and explain for listeners what Amber Engine was really known for, like, like, and, and how, they, how they got on your radar and why they made so much sense to your operation. So Amber Engine is, is a platform called a PIM. A PIM is, is software that helps you manage product data. So if you have 12,000 SKUs in your, in your textile library, you've got to manage those. They, some are new, some are old, some, some are discontinued. It's a very complicated business, and most companies manage it with spreadsheets. Um, there are companies now that are helping you manage it, and they're very expensive, and they're very hard to set up. And what we said is, we've already done all the data work. So if we bought a company, and Amber Engine is who we bought, I can take the product data of our partners and migrate it over to Amber Engine and turnkey it. So we started to pitch some of our biggest customers, Amber Engine, and their data is already in it. And we're like, here's your, your 24,000 SKUs ready to go. But now you can pipe that to our website. Well, why not pipe it to all of our dealers? 
Why not pipe it to our independent reps? Why not pipe it to Wayfair for a little bit of the SKUs I sell there? And what about the SKUs I sell on Shopify? And as a benefit, the product data on Material Bank is now easier to update, which makes it better for my users. So Clippings is another company that yeah. you brought into the fold, right? So explain for listeners Clippings and, and what they're about and, and why that was appealing. So, so Clippings was a furniture marketplace in the UK. And they are a technology-enabled furniture marketplace. What did it do? Well, it enables e-commerce. We don't build websites. We're not even Shopify. But we can now go with this technology and say to any manufacturer, we can enable e-commerce if you want it. More importantly, we're building all the tools to help them manage quotations and re-quotations and all that flow in sales that is specific to our industry. So again, there are many services, there's Salesforce, there's this, there's that, but we really know this industry. So Clippings, and now the technology company, it's called Design Technologies, is purely working on digital tools to enable manufacturers, websites to become much more efficient to help them make sales. So if they want to do sales, they can. If they want to just do quotations, and you could build a full quote and submit it to be quoted, we're building all the workflow to enable it, to make our brands stronger. We're taking a quick break from the show to remind listeners about Serena and Lily. Known for their unique coastal-inspired mix, Serena and Lily makes good design their business, working with trade professionals like you to transform interiors. Join their trade program to enjoy exclusive trade discounts and flat rate delivery. COM and complimentary swatches, and services tailored to your specific needs, like extra customization options and extended returns. You can even use their design shops as an extension of your workspace. Become a trade member at serenaandlily.com slash trade. And now, back to the show. Earlier you made the point that your goal isn't to be a disruptor, but we know, and, and, and David Rosenblatt from First Dibs, who has a background in tech, always makes this point that the internet itself is going to be the disruptor. It is going to change the way we all have to do business. And as, and as you were just pointing out, all of these companies have to digitize all their assets. They, they all have to, to catch up. Sampling online seems as though it will inevitably change perhaps how outside sales reps go out and call on people and 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 sample that way it seems it seems as if the multi-line showroom model will be impacted by online sampling in a meaningful way right yeah look the average designer goes home and they have all of these incredible tools to book their trips, to order their food, do anything in their life. It's beautiful. Press a button, everything happens. They can't come to work and go back to 1962. So every company, not just us, has to think about the future. And the future of our industry is going to dramatically change. And part of that is, and I go back to, my goal is how do I help my brands? My brands are my customers. How do I help my brands get ready for anything and everything. And it might be the way that they deal with their reps. We know reps are important, but how do I make the rep more efficient? 
how do I make the rep that is the top producer at a company even more efficient? How do I help companies simplify sales, hold people more accountable, drive more business? That's really what we do. And every tool we build is designed to focus on improving the efficiency because it will change. You know, there's the longstanding debate of trade only and trade direct and direct to customer. Right. We can't honestly sit here and think in five more years that there's a a, a, a 35-year-old tech uh, uh, entrepreneur that's going to want to do it the old-fashioned way. People, the world is changing. The world is moving. And we want to make sure that we can bring our brands along with those changes. What we don't want is our brands to be disrupted. Right. Okay. So, but, but stay with that because you raise a great point, this, this to the trade model, right? Yep. I mean, it, it, more and more, we have these discussions around pricing transparency, around internet sites, just being able to show all these prices. What, what in your mind happens to that model? I think that there has to be someone that really gets serious about explaining how important designers are in the same way that your lawyer and your doctor and every other expert is important. And designers should be paid for their work. But I just don't think that we are in a world where you can have opacity in pricing. People are too smart. The internet is too big. People talk too much. I just don't think you can have that anymore. So I think designers need to be paid handsomely for what they do because they're extraordinarily talented and I think that there has to be more transparency because it cannot last. I don't know of an industry that you can have these opaque areas that can last forever. They slowly get eroded. Because, and, and here's the thing that I, I talk about this a lot, and I, and I think it's so important. The people today versus 25 years ago, wealthy people 25 years ago, they used to, they would say to a designer, in my opinion, I trust you. I'm going to come back. Tell me when it's done. Have fun. Right, right. But here's the difference. The younger generation has grown up with good design, right? My daughter, who's, who's 18, all her life has grown up with good design, not just because I love design, but because she has an Apple product and she likes to go to Target and she likes all the different companies and things that are all focused on design today. So that has made her more design savvy and conscious. And I think that the average person cares about design in a whole different way. Now, fast forward a little bit to when she starts to get her first home. Maybe she even wants to use a designer one day. She wants to be a part of it. She's on the internet. She's on TikTok. She's on Instagram. She's getting ideas. She wants to collaborate with her designer. Now, I know some designers might not like that, but the benefit is that the consumer has embraced design to a level that I've never seen before. There are, right now, video games on the iPad that are interior decorating games. If you knew the number of users that play on these games, you'd fall off your chair. And that's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for our industry. I think it's why even mainstream companies that are more widely uh, available at lower price points are pushing good design because everyone wants it. So I think that that is going to force more transparency because people want to participate. And I think that the industry has to slowly establish it. The, the question that so many designers present is, that was a big part of where I made my money. I made my money on that spread between trade and retail or, or, or however they were marking up. And as you were saying earlier, 
ideal world, designers are paid what they're what they're worth, and people represent the understand the value of designers. But it's a struggle, and it and it's a it's a fear with many designers, particularly in the residential space. Yeah, that, that's that's a big part of of where they make their money. And and when they see when they see platforms like Material Bank, just one of many things that make them think, oh, this is this is yet another thing that's come along to challenge my my model, my income stream. I think that if you look at other industries, you look at general contractors, what do they do? They say, listen, it's cost plus a percentage. Hmm. And then I've got general conditions. And, I've got, and you know, going in that you're on the same page. Yes, you're going to pay a percentage transparently to get the service. That's worth it. That's a lot of work to coordinate that. I just don't think that that can survive in a large way. At the very, very high end, sure, maybe. Designers that have such names, it's incredible. Sure, maybe. But look, isn't the largest employer of interior designers now restoration hardware? So he likes to say. So well, Gary Friedman likes to say. But here's, here's the problem. He's built an extraordinary platform. Providing lots of design services that is taking away from designers. I think that the designers have to figure out how to provide more and be transparent in a way that works for the consumer. Because we don't want to be in, a, in an area where design and designers aren't rewarded for their hard work. They're the ones that bring all these incredible things to life. And I just think that it's hard to swim against that tide. I see other industries that are losing transparency every day. And I think it's tough. And I think the worst thing that can happen is the customer gets more and more transparency and they start to feel like, wow, I'm, I'm really getting killed by the designer. And that will hurt the industry. And I, I don't want to see that happen, but designers have to be paid for what they do and make the margins that they need because it's not so easy to be a designer out there today and run a, run a pro- profitable practice. So the more that we can build tools that can give them efficiencies, and give them power and give them uh, an ability to operate at a higher level, the more that we will help enable that. And I think a lot of what we're, we're working on now is as groundbreaking and game-changing as Material Bank has been, and, and, and we, we couldn't be more proud and, and thankful for our brands. We're working on the sister to Material Bank for the residential market, which is a completely separate platform targeting the residential market. And it is early. I'm giving a little teaser here to you, Dennis, because you're going to go way back. Uh, We've not talked publicly about it, but we are working on some extraordinary new concepts for this new platform that we will introduce early, early next year that will be, I think, even more game-changing than Material Bank has been as it relates to the residential market. And by the way, that is trade-only, that is direct to the consumer. It is how people, I believe, want to shop, which is, this is a very special carpet from this. This is textile from that, trade only. This is a little bit more mainstream. The high-low game is, to me, how America uh, uh, operates. Certainly in fashion, we know that's the case. So we're working on some really big initiatives that will champion and empower designers. It will empower brands. It will empower consumers and take away all the pain points that exist today in that market as it relates to making design decisions, specifically around materials, but around product as well. And it's complicated. 
Right. It, so it's complicated. And, and, and let's get into that because you and I have spoken very candidly about some of the challenges that have been presented by the residential side of the, of the market. So I don't know how some of these big contract brands price their samples out or how, what margins they, they take on it. But for the residential fabric brands, especially, it is the top line item for their companies is sampling yeah. costs, right? The fear that they have had around Material Bank and how, how they tell me and have told you at, at nauseum of, of, about it, right, is, okay, Material Bank becomes another showroom to me. It becomes a multi-line showroom. I've got to, I've got to basically sample it like it's another multi-line showroom. And many of them were presented with it, it would it would cost $25 per box if if your sample was in this in this box and there was i don't know what the monthly fee was for them but it quickly could be $25,000 a month you could be spending on material bank and there weren't guardrails in place. This was one of the big concerns that so many of them raised that, as you were saying earlier, people could just go and order every blue velvet they wanted to. And there was nothing to prevent them from doing that, right? Because it was all free to the designer. So why not order 100 blue velvet samples? Yeah. Right? And all of the, there just seemed to be runaway costs yeah. for, the, for the residential side, right? That was their, that was their fear. Totally. The biggest fear we had when we launched Material Bank, I had two fears. They wouldn't order enough, meaning the designers, or they'd order too much. If they didn't order enough, and they just, every time they wanted one thing, they called me and said, send me one thing, we're dead. If they over-ordered, if they became piggish, if they, if they just said, you know, I don't care, give me, give me every colorway, I'm just going to pick a color we would be dead because we would be killing the manufacturers, right? It wouldn't be fair to the manufacturer. Right. right. So early on, we set up, we called the order regulator and every single night, this software catches weird orders. And when we get very large orders or odd orders or a designer that shouldn't be doing things, doing things, it's always caught. And we'll email the designer and say, hey, what, what is this? This is an odd order. And most times the orders are canceled. Sometimes the orders go. Sometimes we hold them and ask the brand, do you want us to send them? When it comes to residential, we know that the price point, the average order is smaller. We also know that the minute you talk to consumers, it's a different ballgame. You cannot trust a consumer to be fair. Consumers will absolutely abuse, in some ways mercilessly abuse the brands if it's free. We don't believe in free to the consumer. The designers, yes, you want to support a designer. You can't charge a designer. But if you're a consumer and all you have to do, Dennis, is take 100 people that have done a renovation project or a new home build, put 100 people in the room and say to them, tell me your biggest pain point. 100 of 100 will go, oh, my God, sampling. Oh, my God. I spent my Saturday going here. The designer couldn't get me this. I couldn't do that. I, this was a headache. I had to drive five hours. We want to solve that. And we believe that the consumer will pay for part of that for the convenience. Now, we're already doing it with paint samples. We own a company called Sampleize. We have uh, patented a concept of peel and stick paint. So if you're looking to paint your house, 
You can go to any paint store and get all the free samples you want, but they're not real paint. They're facsimiles of the color. They're, they're fine. They're perfectly fine. But if you want to look at real paint and you don't want to buy a pint of paint and paint it on your wall, you can go to Sample Eyes. You can order any peel and stick paint colors you want. It's real paint. You peel it and you put it on your wall and it's real paint on your wall and you could live with it. Well, I can't explain to you the size of that business and the volume. Consumers are spending $6 per paint sample for the privilege of getting the paint samples and not driving in the car and being overwhelmed. So we think that the consumer will help share the burden with the brand. Now, if I said to a brand, I've got a consumer that just spent $38 on paint samples. How valuable a lead is that to you? You're going to go, that's a pretty valuable lead because the consumer has taken initiative and they've paid. And we think that, that the consumer sharing the burden of the cost, because it's a cost, helps the brands. And you can do that with consumers. You can't do that with big commercial designers. So we're working on models now that will alleviate costs and make sure that the brands get in the hands of the consumer. Because I can tell you with absolute certainty, the consumer wants to be involved. Well, I mean, but but take me back to take me back to the residential fabric lines, for example, and and apply mm-hmm. that same that same thinking. Because again, and and the point you just made, even about sampling. So, you talk to a lot of the folks in the in the residential fabric world, and they'll say to you, somebody taking a fabric sample isn't a hot lead for me. That that's somebody who might just have liked a colorway or liked a pattern and took it, or or maybe they're getting it for their library, but they're not really placing a reserve is a lead is a, is a hot lead for them versus somebody just just taking a sample and so getting a, a list of 500 people that might have ordered samples from material bank is that a meaningful prospect list for a lot of these residential fabric houses i'm i'm not sure i i can tell you this the need to sample is essential you have in my opinion 0% chance of business if you're not in the sample consideration set I think that the beauty of the fabric, the beauty of the material, the beauty of all of the work that those brands do to make those products so good, I think is essential. And I think that we don't want to turn it into something where people are just collecting materials to collect materials. And that's why you've got to charge. But I think that it is going to be very hard if we can build the digital tools and the tools to deliver materials to search for them, to visualize them online, to get the physical sample overnight. I think it's going to be hard for brands to go, you know, we just don't want to do that. We just want to make you come to our showroom. And that's how we do business. I think it's going to be tough because what we know is that companies that have friction are going to lose. Can you imagine the grocery store chain right now that says, I refuse to participate in, in online grocery ordering. I just won't. Okay, no problem. The next guy is going to get that. So we have to make our industry easier. We can't make our industry difficult. So I think that the companies that will remove friction and the brands that will enable this kind of, of work will be the ones that win. And yes, there'll be a cost, but there'll be an offset. And they might start looking at other things they do. Like maybe we don't need the 15th showroom. Maybe. So... We think that there will be changes that brands will make because if we've made it easier to remove the friction 
and to connect with the consumer. I think that those are the brands that are going to be able to facilitate and, and win and take market share. And the ones that just cross their arms and go, I'm not changing. I just think that's not the world we live in today. We're taking a quick break from the show to remind listeners about Vaughn. Designers are drawn to Vaughn lighting, textiles, and furniture because they cover a spectrum of styles and eras, yet every piece has a signature aesthetic. Clean lines, streamlined simplicity, and a purity of form define their design philosophy, one that is rarely affected by fleeting trends. Trade professionals are invited to sign on to Vaughn's website to create a trade profile where you can conveniently view designer net pricing, request a quote directly from their sales team, easily download technical specification sheets and installation guides, use their project planner tool to gather inspiration and save products by room. Use the register link at vaughndesign.com to sign up for your trade profile today. And now, back to the show. And the, the hard part is, and I think back to the beginning of the conversation where you were talking about having 100,000 registered users, for example. And I think, a lot of the, I think a lot of the residential fabric companies hear that number, and that scares the hell out of them. The thought that 100,000 people might potentially be pushing a button and ordering a Schumacher sample or a fabric cut sample, yeah, and, yeah. right? And they're thinking, oh my God, that's the last thing I want because I've got this little tiny market, right, that I'm trying yeah. to call on. Right. And so yeah. I don't want these, I don't want this great big number. And again, knowing what we do about what that's going to cost them, whether that's $25 every time the box goes out or whatever it is, they're going to go broke if all those people show up and start requesting their product. So, how do you think about how you're going to? I mean, and I'm really trying to figure this out myself. Like, sure, how does sure, this sure, make sure. sense for these companies? How could they participate in something like this, which obviously they all see is the future? Absolutely. Right, Absolutely. but they but they're scared to death of the cost side of it. It just seems like it's going to eat them alive. Yeah. Well, look, I I can tell you that we are extraordinarily brand centric and protective of our brands. We we listen to them, we talk to them. The number of brands that have left Material Bank over the last four years, people don't leave. Brands don't leave, and when brands leave, they leave a void that's absorbed by everybody else. You know, a brand leaves and all their designers that used to get their materials now get the materials are on the platform. And the reason that we have such extraordinary uh, stickiness is we work with our brands. We don't want to kill any brands. And the, the bigger the brand, candidly, the better they do because they're more sophisticated and they can see the ROI. As we get into the smaller residential brands with our new platform, again, this is not Material Bank. Because it doesn't work for a lot of these guys on Material Bank. It doesn't. Because there are some giant hospitality people that will look at it and go, I love that, but they can't use it, right? right. So on our new platform that we're building for the, for the trade pro, for the small residential designer, for the consumer, it will be an easier model for the smaller brands. We want the smaller brands. I want the okay. tiny little startup brands that have really unique products that we can bring them business that they never knew existed. So the model will be slightly different because we are working with a different audience. These are not the, the larger, the big, big, larger uh, resi right. guys or specifically the, the, the commercial guys. And we've figured it out with Material Bank. We know Material Bank is expensive because of the volume we're doing. 
But I can tell you that we, we talk to our partners, 50, 60, 70% of their leads now come through Material Bank for their whole company. So it's a way that we're helping to help those guys grow. And it'll be the same thing on the residential side with our new platform. We will embrace the smaller brands. And because it's not going to be free to the consumer. And my guess is, is that if we have the right consumers who are paying to get samples, that's a very high quality lead. That's a whole different animal than anything else out there. And we believe that our service, and we've proven it in paint, but we believe that this platform will be so efficient that a consumer at any price point will never think about, I'm going to get in the car and spend half my Saturday going to showrooms. I love, I love retail. I love showrooms. It's great, but it's not that efficient. And we believe we can make the process more efficient. And again, I don't think the brand cares. They just want to get the lead. They want to get the business. They want to make sure their products are going home with that consumer who are, who are making those decisions in their homes going, what do we, what tile do we choose? What wallpaper do we choose? And remember the brands you and I know and love, very few are ready for the digital world. We need to get them ready. Well, exactly. And we do need to get them ready. And this does seem like an opportunity for them. But the, as you say, it's got to be a different a different cost structure for them because they they can't they they can't work at the at the same scale. They can't be Benjamin Moore, right? I, I, I yep, mean, and, sure. and and that's and that's clear. The other challenge with the with the residential designer oriented firms is all these multi line showrooms that they're in. And so yeah. how do they, right? And, and, the, and the whole territorial breakdown and, and where they have to pay out commissions in various markets. So they get a lead from Material Bank from Los Angeles. They've got a showroom in Los Angeles, right? That they're paying probably 30% to already. How does that work? How do they thread that needle and, and make that cost work? We have, listen, we have a lot of brands that are sharing costs with the reps. We have, we, because, the, because the multi-line showrooms want those leads desperately. So there are some brands that are saying, we're going to split it. There are some brands where we're paying it all and it's a benefit. There are other brands going, we're not paying anything. You're going to pay for the lead. You're getting the sale. So every brand has worked it out differently. But at the end of the day, with, without being on the marketplace, it's, it's, like, it's like Marriott saying, we're going off every search engine. We're just going off of them. What happens is when you go to the search engine to find the Marriott hotel you love, and you're like, I, I guess they're full. I don't see them anymore. I'll go to Hyatt. And that's why I think that so many of even the multi-line showrooms are, are figuring out we need those leads. And, and, you know, it's worth it for us to invest in those leads. You make that point, And it's interesting because so many of these companies have just spent the last two years doing the most business they've ever done. Right. You talk to so many of these fabric houses as, as you do. I mean, they can't believe it. They've never been richer. They're buying houses. They're they're living high, right? They're t- they're telling you, oh my, I've never had business like this, right? So it's awfully hard to tell them that they're missing out on some opportunity right now, right? Right now. Now the bottom hasn't fallen out yet, and God willing, it it won't. I mean, looks right, like right, looks right. like the, it's going to get a little bumpy, but and and we're certainly going to have a slowdown. And I and I want to hear your thoughts about that. But it's awfully hard to tell these people right now. When business is so good, oh, you're, you're missing out on Material Bank. You're missing out on this online opportunity when they can't even keep up with the business they've got. They can't even, they can't even furnish all the orders that they've got, right? Yeah. yeah. Listen, completely agree with you. What you always find is in the best of times is when you invest in brand building and all of those things when you can do it. 
because the tide always goes out. So the best brands, the smartest brands always, they advertise, they go, they do. This is when they can spend the money, right? Right. So we know that everyone has enjoyed a lot of good fortune, especially on the residential side. Lux has broken every record that Lux has ever had, <laughs> okay? But a couple of things, right? With that, and I've watched, you know, I, I was running Lux through 07, 08, 09, and there were two camps. There were the ones that doubled down on advertising and, and said, I'm investing. And when the tide goes out, they're stronger. And then you got the people panicking going, oh my God, I don't have a backlog anymore. I got to scramble into advertising and things. So I think it's, it's, it's two different kinds. It's, and I think there are the long-term thinkers and then there are more of the short-term, like I don't need to do anything today because business is good. You know, I personally think that we have enjoyed the great pull forward. You know, we talk about the great resignation. Yeah. I think we've enjoyed in our industry, the great pull forward, which is my room is a little shabby and I don't want to look like that on zoom. I'm going to paint it. I'm going to redo it. I'm going to fix it up. And, and that was great. I worry that that pull forward will now combine with a slowing economy, start to thin out a little bit. And we might now get people a bit more aggressive looking for business because, Hey, you know, maybe there's not quite as much. So I think that it provides very, uh, for us, good opportunity to help our brands grow through that. But I think that if you are one of those brands that enjoyed extraordinary benefits through these periods, you have to invest. And then we've seen the smarter guys and they are, you've got to invest for the rainy day because the tide will go out again. And it's candidly why we raised capital. We didn't need capital. We, we, in December of last year, I, I said, you know what? I think that 2020 is going to get choppy and we should raise ahead of that because we want to make sure we're primed to take advantage of any turbulence in the market. So it's, it's, it's the same thing with some of those brands. Some have really doubled down and others are enjoying the, just enjoying the, the <laughs> benefits. But, you know, that's a hard, hard way to go long term. Right. And it's very hard to convince people that that rainy day is, is coming when, when yeah. they're looking at their, at their backlog is, is still so strong, right? right. And, we're, and we, and we yeah. see it. But, but as, as you were saying, we've also seen part of the great pull forward. I mean, if, if the retail industry has been telling us anything, people don't need any more flat screen TVs. Guess what? Everyone who wanted a flat screen TV during COVID has gotten one and we're trying to get rid of all the ones we have now. They missed the transition back into nicer fashion because people were going back out and they were still loaded with household related items and flat screen TVs. So we are seeing that, that big shift, but we also are clearly seeing a, a meaningful downturn in in the market. The, the the Fed. I mean, today's CPI number, as we sort of talked about at the beginning of the show, it came in so hot that clearly the Federal Reserve is is going to have to stick to raising rates consecutively multiple times in in the coming months. Something we haven't experienced for a long time. Mortgage rates are already creeping up towards six percent on a thirty year, and that is all with the intention of slowing the housing market, ultimately slowing the home industry yeah. itself, right? In a, in, a, in a meaningful way. What do you imagine? And to your point, you didn't need to raise the extra $175 million, but you thought it'd be nice to have this, this cushion to, to ride out whatever? It wasn't as much a cushion. We, we, were, we are very fortunate that we are uh, very capital efficient and had a ton of capital 
before uh, the raise for us. We believe that there'll be incredible buying opportunities to acquire more companies and to also hire more people. So those are the two areas that we are investing in. You know, we're going into Europe with Material Bank. Mm. Philippe Brocar, who, who built Maison Objet, is, is, is leading our initiative in, in Paris. We're going into Europe. We've got a joint venture uh, going into Japan with Material Bank. We're launching, uh, as I said, the new consumer uh, uh, resi platform. So we wanted to make sure we have a lot of dry powder to not only invest in people and our own businesses, but to uh, acquire over the next couple of years more companies that will be accretive to our, our overall mission. And my thinking really was, well, if, if the markets do soften um, and things slow, it'll be a bumpy 18 months. That's the time that we need to really double down. That's the time we've got to take bigger risks and we've got to grow. And it reminds me, Dennis, of, you know, 08, 09, when we were presented with the opportunity to buy Interior Design Magazine from Reed Elsevier. Mm. And we got to a point where the, the markets were so bad that even my internal team was saying, are you crazy? We're going to buy more print in, in, in you know, in, we're in a recession and the world's ending. And, and I'm like, guys, this is a, this is, this is the crown jewel. This is interior design. It's an extraordinary platform. It's worth the risk. So it's to me, the same playbook of these tough times, people get nervous, people have to sell, people have issues. We want to be able to be opportunistic where it makes sense for us. And we'll always maintain that. Maintaining that large balance sheet to me is just important because we don't know what the world's going to throw at us. So, you know, I think those are, you know, even some of the bigger issues you've got, you've got a supply chain uh, issue that's completely broken still. We're, we're like years into COVID now, like COVID's come and gone and we Absolutely. still have a supply chain problem. Now we're hitting a, a, an economy that's, that's getting choppy and, and inflation's out of control. And, and, you know, the average family spending a hundred dollars to fill up a car with gas. Like it's just crazy. So all of those things coming around um, are going to provide, um, um, you know, it's going to create some choppiness for us. To that point, when will we see some of the things you've teased us with today? When will we see what's what's coming next for the the, the sister brand for Material Bank yeah. and and some of the inspiration that you've talked about? When when are we going to see all this? Adam? A great question, Dennis. Um, so so Material Bank 2.0 is going to launch in Q4. It is 20 generations beyond what Material Bank is today. We are building out a new inspiration tool that, as I mentioned to you, is there's nothing like it in the world. It is harder to build than Material Bank, candidly. Um, and then, and then, version one of Design Shop, which is is the name of uh, of of the consumer uh, trade pro platform we're building, will be Q1 of next year, where we'll launch an early version of that, and that'll be up and running. Um, and that also will will have some really unique things to it, and. And, and that will 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 give consumers an entirely new perspective on simplifying design decisions. I don't like to build like derivative products. We really like to invent, and and Design Shop will be a a, a, a platform that is really doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, and and will be pretty pretty unique, but really complicated. I can't stress how hard <laughs> this stuff is, uh, and how how big our teams are, and how much work it is to do this stuff. It's 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 complicated, um, so we're working really hard at it. But it'll be exciting. So we'll we're, we're excited to show the industry those 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 new innovations. Well, and and to your point about 
wanting some of the resources to hire more people. A lot, a lot of companies have announced recently hiring freezes, pausing. Yeah. Sounds like you're you're looking to, to to scale up the team to to for all of these new products. Yeah, we we've we've got a, just uh, hundreds of open positions. Our challenge is finding the right people. That is, if you want to ask me, what is your number one problem? It's finding the right amazing people, both from our industry and outside of our industry. It's 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 where we spend most of our time. Candidly, is how do we build our our teams? How do we how do we grow with the right people? We are a frenetic, hard charging, very busy, very dynamic environment. Not everyone's cut out for that. So um, um, you know, we need uh, people that 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 kind of thrive on that. And we're always looking. It's it's it's, it's hard. I mean, you you know, yeah. you know yourself. It's just <laughs> hard to find those great people. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, but but we we've built a great team, and we we continue to be very optimistic. All right. Well, exciting things are, are coming and, uh, and, and you're optimistic and you're, and you're building a lot of new things. Uh, it, it, it would be, it would be great for the residential side to, to find a way that they could participate with you in, in, in a meaningful way. We are making sure that that happens. And, uh, and, uh, we will be, uh, as, as we are the champions of the brands on material bank, we will be the champions of those resi brands um, and, 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 and we'll be there to help them, uh, grow together with us. Okay. Well, I, I look forward to seeing it all unveiled. Adam, a, a pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time. Dennis, anytime, you know, I love talking to you and, and, uh, look forward to uh, seeing you again. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, visit us online at businessofhome.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, browse job listings, and join our BOH insider community access to online workshops, a free print subscription, and much more. If you have a note for the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others to discover the show. This show was produced by Fred Nikolaus and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week.